Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you've ever been lucky enough to spend time on a coral reef, you'll know that they are vibrant, bustling ecosystems packed with an amazing array of spectacular underwater life. They cover less than 10% of the marine environment, but they may be home to around a quarter of all known marine species. As well as being beautiful places to visit and an important treasure trove of biodiversity, reefs also harbour potential new medicines and provide food, income and coastal protection for some 275 million people who live within 30 kilometres of a reef. But coral reefs are at risk. 75% of the world's coral reefs are now threatened by human actions. The net message is is a depressing one. I think we're finding more and more cases where there are areas of hope and we really need to look at those carefully because we we can do something about it. We're in reigning London right now in the Royal Society trying to get uh, excitement and interest over why tropical coral reefs affect all of us. With what we're seeing in the report with the threats to reefs, it's really clear that we need to reach more people than ever before and we need to hope that people will take that information and spread it further and put it into action because we're running out of time. I'm Helen Scales and in this Naked Scientist special I'll be venturing into the world of coral reefs to find out about a groundbreaking new study that paints a global picture of how human activities are putting these vital ecosystems at risk. Reefs at Risk Revisited draws a global map of the problems coral reefs face today. The report was launched this month at a special meeting of the Royal Society in London and I went along to meet some of the people behind the report to find out more. The main headline findings are sadly rather depressing. Here's one of the report authors, Mark Spaulding, from The Nature Conservancy. The the top headline is that 75% of the world's coral reefs are now threatened by human actions. Um, That includes a combination of the direct impacts of people on reefs, things that that we can control really at relatively local levels. Uh, Those direct impacts are affecting just over 60% of the world's reefs. When we factor in recent climate change, this is um, what's happened to date, not the future, um, that pushes our number up to 75% of the world's reefs. Another headline that we that we, we looked at was predictions of the impacts of future climate change. And we um, sat those, if you like, on top of the results of, of threat to date. And they, they become extremely gloomy. By the, by the 2030s, we're up to 80% of the world's coral reefs being threatened. And by the 2050s, we're at 99%. You can't stick your head underwater everywhere around the world. There's too much. There's not enough scientists. Some of these places are very remote. So instead, we've built a model which predicts how much is threatened. And we've had that verified by hundreds of scientists from around the world. And in terms of what's causing those this risk to, to reefs, what are the threats we're looking at? What are reefs suffering from today? Uh, it's a huge host of threats, really, and quite often one piled on top of the other. Though The biggest one is certainly unsustainable fishing, just taking too much and sometimes taking it in extremely damaging ways, using explosives to catch fish. Uh, on top of that, we have what's washing off the land. We have um, 
sediments and pollutants just being washed out of agricultural areas um, from deforested slopes into rivers and out to the reefs. So that's kind of the watershed threat. And then we've got coastal development. I mean, human populations are, are burgeoning everywhere, but particularly in the coastal zone. Um, and as buildings are built and sewage is pumped into the ocean, that, that's a huge threat. And the final local threat is, is shipping and other sources of marine pollution, oil and gas installations, boats crisscrossing the oceans and so on. And sadly, what we've, what we've added to that already, that sort of long litany of threat, is, um, is the issue of, of changing climate, changing oceanography. The oceans are getting warmer. They're already warmer, and they're getting warmer really year by year. That causes a, a, a response in corals known as bleaching. It's a stress response. Uh, if the waters get too warm for too long, the corals become white, and if that continues, they die. And on top of that, another climate change sort of derived threat is is what we call ocean acidification. So the carbon dioxide uh, which is the main greenhouse gas building up in the atmosphere, a lot of it's dissolving into the surface waters of the ocean. And as it dissolves, it forms a mild acid. That's changing the mineral content of the water. And that's the stuff that corals need to build their skeletons. It's diminishing. Corals are going to be less able to grow as well, as strongly and as quickly in the future. Clearly, these threats don't occur in isolation. Um, but I assume lots of reefs get many different threats sort of piled on them all at once. Um, is there any way in your analysis that you've taken account of this kind of combination of, of factors that are, that are affecting um, the, the health and the future of reefs? You're absolutely right. Threats are typically additive. There's very few reefs that are just threatened by one thing. Um, it, you know, actually, you've touched on quite an interesting scientific debate at the moment, whether threats are synergistic or whether they're just additive. And so on. And actually, you know, the debate's raging amongst the scientists. So we don't know the true answer to that. But what we've done is really made them additive. We pile the threats one on top of the other. And we, we basically say that if a reef is threatened by one of those threats, then we count it as threatened overall. Um, but if, if there are two or more, then the threat level moves up a notch. And really, that's, that's the best we can do with current scientific knowledge. And talking about reefs at risk, what does, that, what does that really mean? Are we talking that the reefs that are at risk aren't going to be here in a number of years' time? How do we sort of get a handle on what, what that actually means in, in the real world? We need to remember this is a model. We're trying to predict the condition. And if you stuck your head uh, under the water in many of these places, you'd see different things. I, I think generally the Caribbean has suffered more as a result of these threats. And Southeast Asia is hanging on in there. So the, the reefs still have um, a lot of coral and uh, at least small fish <laughs> in abundance. Um, in some cases, it is a measure of, of things already declining. But in all cases, it's a measure of a potential for decline that could be any day now. I mean, the pressures are immense. Um, it's really hard to say at which point those reefs are actually going to decline and be degraded. They're almost all of them already failing to deliver the functions, the benefits that, that we see as humans and that nature uh, needs as well. Mark Spaulding there introducing the key points raised by the Reefs at Risk Revisited report. This new report follows on from a previous Reefs at Risk study that originally took on the challenge of painting a global picture of coral reef threats. Christian Tulecki chaired the Reefs at Risk Revisited launch where I spoke to him about how the whole thing got started. Uh, reefs at Risk started in uh, 1996, 1997, when a number of scientists got together and were concerned that, that they weren't having enough information about all the things that were happening around the world on coral reefs. 
So they got together and thought, let's put this analysis together and we'll, we'll do a quick assessment of the entire world's reefs and are they at threat based on these different levels of threat indicators. And uh, that came up with some really useful statistics and it actually boiled it down to these two or three key statistics that were cited over and over again. And we know that over 400, it's been cited over 400 times in the scientific literature, but it's been cited thousands and thousands of times. And, and I remember seeing this constantly being recycled in the press, in the media, about these, these statistics. And so really it was, it was you know, thinking um, in my previous job as the director of the International Aquatic Action Network that this was a great opportunity to revisit these statistics and update them because a lot has changed both uh, in the ecosystems, in the climate, um, and at the political level. And so it was really important to, to go back and have a look at this, but also not only compare the statistics, but revisit some new nuances about social vulnerability, climate change, ocean acidification, these key threats to, to uh, importance of, of coral reefs. So um, it really was the revisited that, that we thought that this would make a really interesting story to revisit these old statistics. I have to say, one of the things you said during the, the, the presentations that th- shocked me the most was the idea that when we first did reef, reefs at risk in 98, ocean acidification wasn't really on the radar at all. And now, look, at, look where we've got to. I mean, that, that's terrifying. It is terrifying. And really, uh, ocean acidification has only been picked up in the, in the last five or six years. It was the Royal Society, I think in 2004, 2005, that did the really groundbreaking report on ocean acidification and the broader impacts of ocean acidification on the environment. But it's a problem that's not that's not in 30, 40 years' time. It's right on a horizon. So if you translate that into, in terms of coral reefs and the degra- degra- further degradation of coral reefs overlying all these other threats, you have a potential massive food security issue. And I assume that generally, am I right, that the changing picture since 98 is one that's generally worse? Sure. I think there's been a, a general net decline in reef health. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to go out and look and see that there's, a, there's an impact. I think... The message is that it's, it's not a straightforward story. I remember when we did work in the Seychelles in 1998 during the peak of the bleaching event, we went out and surveyed the southern Seychelles, and we actually found that there was a lot of uh, heterogeneity um, and mixed responses in terms of the bleaching event. You had some reefs that bleached and some that didn't. Some died, some didn't. And in fact, that told a very interesting story because when we came back, the big story was all reefs were dying in the Indian Ocean. Well, that wasn't actually true. So I think what this, what this report highlights is that there are pockets and areas that are resilient for one reason or another. They're doing well for one reason or another. And we really need to look at those very carefully as potential you know, seed banks for other parts, of the, other parts of the ocean. So yes, while the net, the net message is, is a depressing one, I think we're finding more and more cases where there are areas of hope. And we really need to look at those carefully because we can, we can do something about it. You know, we can build a political will to address some of these issues. That was Christian Telecki from SeaWeb telling me how reefs at risk got started and why he thinks there's definitely still room for hope when it comes to the future of coral reefs. I'm Helen Scales and you're listening to a Naked Scientist special about Reefs at Risk Revisited, a new report that reveals a global picture of the threats that are facing coral reefs today. Coming up, I speak with the Jamaican High Commissioner for the UK about what this study will mean for people in his country. And I meet explorer and TV presenter Paul Rose to find out his thoughts on Reefs at Risk. But first, I had a look at the Reefs at Risk Revisited map with Mark Spaulding to find out a bit more about what it has to tell us about the problems facing reefs today. 
So this is the world map of coral reefs. In fact, it's a new map that we produced for this report. So that in and of itself is a quite a valuable output. Um, but what we've done is co coloured the reefs um, on a scale from low threat to very high threat, a four-point scale, low, medium, high and very high. Um, and really, the, the only way to deal with this is to, th is to see it as a kind of a proxy for, for 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 what's going on on the ground and we can we can just scan our eyes around the world and see what the the most threatened areas where the most threatened areas are so southeast asia really stands out that's the whole region from thailand across to um the philippines and down to eastern indonesia and and really 95% of the reefs in that region are now under threat overfishing is pretty much ubiquitous everywhere in that region uh, and on top of that we've got problems of runoff from land and so on uh, the other area that stands out really as as sort of red on the map as as highly threatened uh, is the region around the caribbean once again particularly the island caribbean from cuba right through and round to the Lesser Antilles, down to Barbados and Trinidad. Those those areas are just being impacted, again, by multiple threats from coastal development and from, from overfishing. And it's interesting, the blue bits, which is the low the low threat, we do have quite a few areas of blue um, on the map, um, including, looks like most of Australia's looking pretty blue. Is that showing us that, that they're doing things right, that they're figuring things out? Yeah, well, Australia certainly comes out as the lucky country um, in this analysis. Uh, the, the threat levels are extremely low. 14% of the reefs in Australia uh, are under uh, threat, according to our models. And yeah, Australians are doing a lot right. They're also lucky in, in, from a reef perspective in that there's not a, immense human pressure on many of those reefs. Many are very remote and far away from, from people and the pressures of fishing and so on. Um, but they are doing a lot right as well, and that we really need to celebrate and, and, and pass that message on. You know, the Great Barrier Reef, uh, also the huge coral reefs in the west of Australia, Ningaloo and so on, are being managed as marine protected areas. Large areas completely closed to fishing, um, efforts on the mainland to reduce some of the outputs from, from agriculture and some of the pollutants. They're all helping to keep Australia in pretty good shape. And that, that message carries on, you know, the blue points that you've noticed around the world are often these more remote reefs, often in oceanic locations in the Pacific and in the Indian Ocean, where human pressures are, are certainly less. And you mentioned the, the marine protected areas. Um, one thing you looked at in your report is how effective marine protected areas are for coral reefs. And it seems that that was a little bit disappointing. Well, it's a mixed message on the MPA front. I mean, certainly uh, the numbers are impressive to 2,000 679 coral reef protected areas around the world. That's a huge number and a massive increase in recent years. Um, and they cover a huge area of the world's reefs. They cover um, about 27% of the world's reefs, which again puts them as one of the most, uh, one of the best apparently protected uh, habitats in the planet. Um, but as you say, we did look also, we needed to look at whether those protected areas were actually working on the ground. And to do that, we did an assessment of effectiveness, uh, how well they're, they're, they're turning things around in terms of the ecology. Are the fish, you're going to see, you can see more fish in those places than next door where there's heavy fishing and so on. And when we did that study, we found that um, only a, a, a much smaller proportion of those sites were uh, actually effective. So although 27% of the world's reefs are in protected areas, only 6% are in fully effective uh, marine protected areas. 
Also at the Reefs at Risk Revisited launch were various dignitaries from countries that have coral reefs. Many of them spoke about the importance of reefs in their countries and what this new report will mean for them. I caught up with His Excellency Anthony Johnson, Jamaican High Commissioner to the UK. Well, <laughs> reefs are the basis of uh, all the islands in the Caribbean. We were built from the coral polyp, uh, which creates initially a reef and eventually that becomes uh, flat land and then it becomes a mountain and, and that's where we live. But today it provides tremendous income for several industries. First of all, the fishing industry, uh, because the reef uh, is a home for fish and for crustaceans and for mollusca and various such items that we eat. But it's a food chain uh, which builds up and uh, which eventually uh, creates the beauty that you see when you come to the Caribbean. And that beauty, uh, with not only the reef as you see it, but the sand which comes uh, from the reef, because the reef produces sand, uh, which makes the beach. And uh, that is what everyone comes to the Caribbean for. Uh, and that, of course, is our giant tourist industry, which is the main source of livelihood of, uh, of the Caribbean. And how important is it for you to have a report like this, putting a global perspective on how important reefs are and the problems that they face? Oh, extremely so, extremely so, because this is bringing uh, data which is, only, is very new. And uh, many people uh, think when they hear about, uh, you know, uh, reefs at risk, they think, well, you know, that has to do with some highly uh, interesting uh, scientific analysis, and it has nothing to do with that. Whereas, in fact, uh, the reef has everything to do with us. You know, the, the coral polyp, uh, it's, it's millions of them, billions indeed, which create the reef. And over time, uh, the, the, the sea uh, degrades that, and that degradation is what goes and forms the beach. And the beach uh, is alive. It, it keeps moving. The sand doesn't stay at one place. So you constantly have to have a replenishment of the sand from the reef if, if the beach is to remain uh, a whole and, um, and attractive. And uh, the, the pollution of, 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 uh, of beaches is, of course, what comes about with large-scale industrialization, first of all, and second, with uh, tourist development. Now, the tourist uh, hotels generally are aware of it, but there are some things which you must do and some things which you, which you mustn't do. So what you've done here today is to be bringing all of this um, into, into one place, look, looked at from different uh, scientific studies, uh, which will help us, first of all, to uh, make some sort of assessment as to how successful our efforts have been, but also to once again uh, inform the public, uh, including hotel owners, uh, tourists, um, the, the man in the street, uh, how important this is for all of us. And, and finally, if you had one message, perhaps, to give to people who would maybe be coming to Jamaica as visitors to, to experience the beautiful country and the underwater world as well, do you have a message that you might like to give to those people? Well, I mean, most people will only be coming for 10 days, uh, two months or so on. Uh, but we would ask them to uh, to look at it uh, not merely as a, a place to sit on or a place to lie on, but to realize that 
the, the, the beach and uh, indeed the entire coastal region um, is, uh, is there for them, for us and for mankind. And we found it that way and we hope that our generation will pass it on uh, in the same pristine condition. Hi, Commissioner. Thank you very much. Well, it was really interesting talking to the various people who come from coral reef countries and hear their thoughts about reefs. There was someone from Mozambique who made the point that it's all very well saying that reefs in his country are currently at a relatively low risk. But perhaps that's something that isn't really going to last for long, given that reefs in neighbouring countries were already under a great threat. One person from the Maldives spoke about how he was born on a coral island that took just half an hour to walk around and how there were dozens of words in his local language for different types of corals, so it's almost like he knows them individually as friends. Well, I spoke to another of the report's authors, Alison Perry, about how it's not just reefs that are at risk, but also the lives of people who rely on them. For the first time, Reefs at Risk includes a global assessment of the vulnerability of, of nations and territories that depend on reefs. So there's the information there about the, the local threats to reefs, the global threats, but then we've also taken that information about the threats and combined it with global information about dependence on reefs to try to highlight the areas where, where people are, are most at risk socially and economically. So all of this information is available for people to use, and it really points towards certain countries that are, are really a particular priority, but, but also others that are, are heading in the same direction. I guess um, I wanted to have your thoughts about what the goals are of the recent risk we visited. What, what are you hoping to kind of see come out of it? You know, we've built this picture. Where do we go now with it? Well, I think what we're hoping is that we'll see something, something like what we saw with the previous reefs at risk, but on a much bigger scale. So we've seen how that information can be translated into action on the ground. It can be used for education. It can reach decision makers, scientists. And we want to reach all of these people, but I think with what we're seeing in the report with the threats to reefs, it's really clear that we need to reach more people than ever before. And we need to hope that people will take that information and spread it further and put it into action because we're running out of time. Alison Perry there, one of the authors of Reefs at Risk. She was at the World Fish Centre when she worked on the report and she's recently moved to Oceana in Madrid. Well, a huge quantity of data was piled into the Reefs at Risk Revisited report. There's this new map of reefs themselves, as Mark mentioned earlier, and on top of that, all sorts of other information about threats to reefs have been crunched into a model to give reef areas a label of risk ranging from high to low. Katie Rater from the World Resources Institute is another of the report's authors, and she told me about how all this information was brought together. Well, it was it was a long process. It, it took us from start to finish about two and a half years, and really we relied a lot on partners um, for compiling data sets and and giving us feedback on which are the best types of data to use. And um, in particular, for example, in the analysis of marine pollution, we um, we tried to incorporate new data sets that were not used in previous reports, and one of those is uh, cruise ship. Uh, visitation and intensity of, you know, where are cruise ports located and, um, you know, how much are ships visiting them. And, and that's the sort of information that you may not necessarily find, you know, just online somewhere. And so we really relied on people in the industry and, you know, to, to provide that data for us. And we were very fortunate to connect with a number of people, like locations of hotels is another example. And, um, 
you know, and, and so we relied a lot on people willingly providing us that data and, and for free too, um, which was really critical for us meeting our mission. And uh, um, and I believe you know, people can access this data. The Google Earth um, application looked awesome. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Oh, sure, definitely. Um, right, so we took our shapefile of coral reef, uh, threats to coral reefs. So it's a coral reef layer, and it's color-coded by um, level of threat. So, um, you know, there's a range from, from low threat to, to very high threat. And it's really just a, an interesting application because Google Earth, you have so many capabilities for for zooming into a particular location or even looking at a global view. So I find it to be a really powerful tool for taking our data and making it work for a specific purpose. Another person I caught up with at the Reefs at Risk Revisited launch was explorer and TV presenter Paul Rose. He was there to give the opening address about the importance of coral reefs around the world. We're in reigning London right now in the Royal Society trying to get uh, excitement and interest over why tropical coral reefs affect all of us in the world, not just because those of us that live on tropical islands or visit tropical countries or indeed are tropical coral scientists. It does affect us all, and there lies the great challenge, particularly these days, because we've got so many of us that live in the cities and seem to live lives remote from nature. Uh, It's almost as if, you know, most of us on the planet feel that um, all of our resources uh, come from Mother Nature, and it's a bottomless pit, and it's equally a bottomless pit for our waste, which is a ridiculous situation. You know, we don't actually live that close to nature anymore. Um, so there lies the great challenge. And how we can do it is by using a mechanism like coral reefs. Because we're a nation of seafarers, we travel a lot, we all like going to the coast. Millions of us go to warm tropical areas every year to relax and, in, and, and have holidays. But what happens is, when we're there, do we understand what's going on? And of course, the way that we could possibly engage the population in big global issues is by saying, look at these corals, guess what? It's a gloomy situation. In some parts of the world, 95% of them are threatened. We've already lost 20% of our coral reefs. If they go, we go. You know, it's, a, it's, the, it's the largest, least understood, most endangered ecosystem on the planet. How to understand it? Well, look at these coral reefs that you visit on your holidays. That might just be the missing component in an equation to help us live more balanced lives alongside nature and not against nature. It's easy to stay, get very gloomy on a report like this. Mm. You know, h- how do you think, you know, next time you mm. go diving on a mm. reef, how do you think this will affect the way you see it? And, and mm. yeah, how do we maintain optimism mm. in all of this? Well, I look at the success stories. I mean, there are some small um, islands, for instance, Rodrigues in the Indian Ocean, where one of our projects went there, discovered that there was a bit of a misunderstanding between the locals' appreciation of the reef, and after all, it is their reef, not ours, and what was really going on with the reef, how it works, what the ecosystem really is, and how slight changes in their fishing style and things like learning to swim, amazingly, learning to swim, my son was one of the people that actually taught them to swim, means they can then snorkel with a mask, they can see what's going on down there, understand the reef systems better, and then maybe fish lobsters and octopus of the right size and fish of the right size keeping the whole thing more sustainable and they get more fish the net result is after about a year they're actually fishing 
in less areas, doing less damage to the reef and getting more fish. So these are success stories. Or when, when I speak to the young generation these days, they're all completely switched onto the sea. They all completely have got it. And then that pushes people of my generation to raise the, the example setting even higher and that pushes them up. So we encourage each other. And uh, finally, um, I have to ask, you're, you know, you've been to many places. Mm. Yeah, you, you must have seen some fantastic things. Mm. If you could pick your favourite coral reef, what would it be? And is there somewhere that you would love to visit that you haven't had a chance to yet? <laughs> and it has to be a coral reef. My favourite coral reef would have to be the one in uh, UK waters. And it's off of uh, northwest Scotland. Um, it's never been dived. And it's protected. It was our first bit of protected ocean area. And it's what I like about it is that I'm not likely to dive. It's a 1,000 metres deep. And neither is anybody else. But the reality is it actually adds to my lifestyle knowing that that coral reef is down there completely protected. If I knew that that coral reef was covered in hazardous waste, it would be a negative impact on my life. So that's my most favourite coral reef. I love it, I love it. Do you want to choose one you want to see as well, or would that be the same one, perhaps? <laughs> it would. Well, actually, yes, I, w- I would go and dive that one just to see it. I've been lucky. I mean, I've dived, you know, cold water corals under the Arctic ice, and I've dived hot corals in Eritrea. Um, but I would, I would visit that one. That was Paul Rose talking to me, Helen Scales, about his thoughts on reefs at risk revisited and choosing his favourite coral reef. Well, that's all for this Naked Scientist special. You can check out the Reefs at Risk Revisited report for yourself. It's available to download freely online. There's also a short movie and various other things, including the Google Earth application we talked about. You'll find links to all that at the Oceans pages of the Naked Scientist website, where you can also hear a shorter version of this feature in the latest edition of the Naked Oceans podcast. That's all at thenakedscientist.com forward slash oceans. It just remains for me to say a big thank you to Mark Spaulding, Christian Telecki, Alison Perry, Katie Rater, Paul Rose and the Jamaican High Commissioner to the UK, His Excellency Anthony Johnson. And thanks to you for listening. Catch you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.